Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Into the fire. Glam Metalcast discusses Metal Unplugged. Hey, I got an idea. Let's unplug. Thanks, Tesla. What's metal about that? So now all the metal bands are playing acoustic songs. Extreme. More than Mr. Big. Just to be the next to be with you. You. You, you. And then being this whole unspoken thing on MTV, like, if you can't unplug, you're not really a musician. Well, we got Metal Mike here. I'm with Ryan. Ryan, Metal Unplugged, man. What do you think? I think it's really awesome. I think it kind of uh, is one of those things that may have made a band sink or swim, in a sense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I was, I was pretty impressed when these rockers would go acoustic and really show their true talents at this level. Unfortunately, some bands that... Uh, didn't translate that well into this realm, but <laughs> some of them, uh, let's just say I have some honorable mentions that I left off that I, I really love the bands and I left them off because of that. Yes. Um, could have been song choices or it could have been performance. We'll see. But uh, yep. yeah, very interesting. Well, one thing, you know, D. Snyder said, and, and, I, and I don't always agree with everything D. Snyder says, but one thing that was going on at MTV, I would say, in the early 90s was it was that snobbish point of view that, you know, like, you, you know, all musicians should be able to play unplugged. And, you know, the good thing is for our metal guys, most of them did have the chops. Oh, yeah. You know, a lot of people think that, like, Bon Jovi was kind of like the catalyst for this. You know, when they did the music awards and they did uh, Water Dead or Alive and Living on a Prayer. Well, I, as I research it more, they kind of say that like the unplugged was already kind of in uh, in place, or they're working on it behind the scenes. But I do think that was a pivotal moment for the whole unplugged thing. What do you think? Oh, totally agree. Uh, I had done this in our metal TV performances. I had talked about that performance with uh, John Bon Jovi and Richie Sambora, and how pivotal that was. And I had kind of put it out there to you, like confirm that this was kind of how this all kicked off and you say yeah, i think it was um but yeah that was huge like that was a great performance and i thought that it really showcased their talents and then i'm sure it sparked the bug in mtv's eyes and they said okay 
this is cool. People were receptive. They liked how it broke down. So, yeah, I'm right on board with that one. Yeah, and another band that gets mentioned a lot is Tesla. Tesla, I mean, you figure in 1990, Tesla had a number eight hit with Signs. I've, I've been very upfront. I, I respect Tesla. I've never got super into them. I wasn't even very super into this song when it was out. Uh-huh. But, but I do think it <laughs> I do think it was important for the whole acoustic thing, for, for like hair model and hard rock. Yeah, that was a big album for them. I, I, I even remember that album when I was a young man. <laughs> you know, this is a weird time because this is all kind of happening in the early 90s as grunge is coming out. So what we'll kind of integrate with this whole thing that we're doing tonight, we'll get some audio clips of the band kind of talking about how this was kind of like the beginning of the end for them you know what I mean as much as it was like maybe this was there was this new exciting terrain to go on to with the acoustic uh, there was some this other thing that was kind of looming was the whole the whole grunge thing but you know I, if anything it was kind of like a last-ditch effort to kind of show that they were relevant yeah uh, you could tell by the the audience reaction you know what I mean like the amount of cheering women in the audience in like 90, 91, it, it, it went from, from that to uh, not so many uh, young people in the audience just a year later. They kind of went went in the direction of the Alice in Chains and whatnot. <laughs> yeah, and then the biggest thing that I can think of all of this is that, at least for the musicians, it was a lot simpler, man. A lot less gear. <laughs> oh, totally. They loved it. <laughs> all right. Well, like I said, I know there's a crap load of awesome performances man so jump right in tell me what your number 10 is all right well i got one of your favorites man i got ron taylor doing all's fair from 2016 and Ooh. uh yeah the first my first two ten uh nine and ten are my like the new ones everything else is is mm-hmm. heyday okay um but this one in and, and i'll say this kind of showcases uh the true talents and i'll tell you why it's in a, in a way, they're almost more impressive because these guys are probably in their 50s at this point, mm-hmm. and, and they're still doing such a great job. And so anyway, this performance is Ron Taylor with an unknown guitar player, and it's just he and his, his guitar player, and I'm, I'm sure there's somewhere on the East Coast, Midwest. He does All Spare in Love and War, and uh, the, the coolest part is, and the reason I chose this is because they pre-tracked that scream at the beginning when he says, I have no idea. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's that just banshee guttural scream yep. he does at the beginning on the album, and it's just awesome. And it plays the track before he was ready for it, like they cued it up just in case he couldn't pull it off. Mm-hmm. And he stopped. He stopped the the audience, and he stopped the track, and he said, "No, no, 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 no! Watch this!" And he just belted it out all live, all on his own. Didn't look like it was staged, and he absolutely knocked it out of the park like it was '89. So. <laughs> I loved it for that reason. Now, if you look it up, you'll find a ton of these performances from uh, this 2016 performance, but you can't find this anymore. And I'm wondering if they removed it because they had this error <laughs> and it may have been slightly embarrassing for mm, him. But mm-hmm. to me, to me, it shouldn't be embarrassing at all. To me, it should be, he should be really proud of the fact that he said, nope, stop it. I'm going to show you how killer I am still bald head and all <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna rip i'm gonna rip this scream out just like it should be and the other cool thing about this performance is he keeps referring to uh instead of saying like all right here's one from lillian he'll be like 
Okay, here's an old stiff song. Oh, because a lot of you, you know what I mean. Yeah, like a lot of them were some a lot of those. Stiff. Yeah, a lot of those Lillian first uh, self-titled uh, songs were from his band Stiff. So uh, it's kind of funny where he kind of, in a way, I think he's kind of jabbing Lillian a mm. little bit, and he wants to throw a bone to Stiff. Anyway, that's my number ten. Nice. You know, and the thing with Ron is he's. This is kind of his element now. You know, he does play in an electric band called Low Side, but, man, he's kind of out there beating the, the path of doing the weekend warrior thing, and he goes out there uh, with, with Darren DeLatte, who was in um, uh, Lillian Axe, and he does a lot of acoustic stuff. So he's that's right, is his element, you know. But like I said, I'm glad you threw in the bald head because <laughs> that'll be one of those ones where, you know, if you haven't seen Ron in a while, if, you, if the last time you saw Ron was 92, you know, you're going to be up for, in for a surprise. He looks a little different. Right. right. But he's, like I said, still got the chops, still got a great voice. He was on the podcast a few months back. It, it was a great time, and everybody knows I'm a big Ron Taylor fan. So Yeah. All right. Well, number 10, I'm going with Warrant doing Blind Faith. When we released the record Cherry Pie in the office of Columbia in New York, there was a huge poster of Cherry Pie, you know, and it, that was a big ego boost. And then when we were going to release the next record, I did the exact same trip to New York to talk with Donnie. And over his secretary's desk was a huge poster again, only this time it was Alice in Chains' Dirt. And I was like, hmm, I think we slipped down the priority ladder here a little bit. If you weren't wearing flannel or had a goatee, I mean, you were not cool. I mean, you were, you were just, you should be shot on sight. It hurt. Nineteen ninety one Arsenio Hall. You know me and Arsenio, man. I'm, oh yeah, I'm a sucker for these Arsenio performances. They, they, they did this on some other shows too. They were on Rick D's. I think they were on MTV. They were making the rounds with this. The crazy thing was is that this was kind of the end of the Cherry Pie uh, album run. This single didn't do anything. You know what I mean? It just like I said, it was kind of like I think it was eighty eight on the charts. It was it was really low. And uh, yeah. you know, Cherry Cherry Pie, you know sold millions and they had the big hits the first two uh songs were the, were the biggest hits on the album but and it, honestly i'm gonna be completely honest i don't remember this song ever coming out i don't ever remember seeing the video back in the day i don't even remember right. the song for uh, you want to be i'm gonna be 100 honest honest i don't even remember this song from the album until like recent times i'm dead serious i've never been a cherry pie guy i'm, I'm not like janie was the cherry pie guy i've never been <laughs> yeah. to cherry pie i just haven't and but like you know, obviously we do a lot of research when we do TV performance episodes, or we do, or I'm just scouring the internet and I post a lot of stuff on Twitter. Anybody who follows me on Twitter knows that. So, I, you know, I've gotten to watch this a few different times more in, in recent years, and I really like it. There's a couple of things that I really want to say about the band is, of course, Janie Lane's a great singer. Stephen Sweet is a great singer. He he, ba you know, he does the backgrounds with Janie, and he yeah. sounds great. Yeah, and He's um, great. You know, you kind of alluded to this in the beginning, and I think this is going to come up where some people figure it out and some people don't. But Joey Allen plays a mean solo on the acoustic, and not everybody can do that, as we're probably going to mm -hmm. get into. You know, it's it's not easy. You cannot do exactly 
you know, those shredding solos on a, on an acoustic. But I think the guys do great. This song's really grown on me. I don't know why it missed my radar back in the day, but I uh, I enjoy me some Blind Faith now. I agree. Um, I don't know why it missed my radar when I was heavily into getting into this album. And I don't know. Like, it's the same. I'm not just buttering you up. I miss this song. And I don't know why. Maybe there were the other songs were so great that I kind of ignored it. But... Mm-hmm. Yeah, they really pushed this thing as a single, and it never really took off. No, nope. I'm not sure if they play it anymore. I, I don't know. It's just it never really caught on for me, and probably why it didn't really catch on as a single. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It was just weird. I don't, I don't, and you know, also it was '91. Were people getting played out with this stuff? I don't know, but it just it didn't fly. But today I go back and and I I really like it. So yeah, very good. All right, number nine. Okay, the other uh, newer one, and I got Hardline doing Hot Sherry mm. at a VIP party, and I think it's from 2019 is what I can surmise from this. But anyway, I met up with these guys, and, and you know, um, they played me some of their tapes of the band that they were in, Burnett, and uh, we started picking apart songs and actually writing some new songs, and I got real interested in producing them. As uh, just the two brothers, they were gonna do like a duet thing, like uh, sort of like a harder rock Nelsons, and um, I was gonna produce them. So we were working on a material at the same time that Bad English was doing our last record, and uh, it just you know I was less enthused with the Bad English thing. The more and more I was going in the studio with that, and more enthused with what we were doing together. So. I sound like a broken record in terms of my preaching of Hardline. But, <laughs> Wait, you like um, Hardline? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, crazy. I got one album and I sit here and preach all that. Um, well, you know what I mean, one album. <laughs> uh, but this uh, this just drives my previous point home in terms of, this is 30 years after Double Eclipse came out and Gioli might sound better on this performance than he did on the Van Halen tour in 92. I mean, he just kills it. So, I kept this in at the risk of sounding predictable, which is like my biggest fear. <laughs> but I'm stoked. I'm stoked to do this because I'm really proud of this band and the way they sound. Um, in the background is that Dean Castronova, the guy that was on Double Eclipse. He turned into the uh, uh, Journey drummer and backup uh, vocalist, and he's got a hell of a voice. Sounds exactly like uh, Steve Perry. Yeah, it's just kind of a small little venue, and it's Hardline just making this sound like it did when it was brand new, and it's very impressive. So uh, if you do search it, I would just type in Hardline Hotchery VIP, <laughs> and uh, it'll come up with their current band. The funny thing, you know, with you mentioning this, actually with your first two, so if you go back and you think about, like, acoustic performances from, like, 91 and 90, 
there's probably only going to be the, either the unplugged or the, or, you know what I'm trying So, but like today, like if you're looking at somebody today, there's acoustic performances up the ass. You know, they're playing at oh, like yeah. bars and VIPs. And, and you know, so it's just amazing how, how it's changed where it was just kind of like a selective thing back in the day. And now it's just like the total norm. Uh, another thing about Hardline. Okay, I've watched this performance. Okay, so here, here's my couple remarks. They do sound cool. Okay. If you haven't seen yeah. Johnny in a long time, like if you haven't really seen him, <laughs> same thing with Ron, you know, he was like this long-haired, skinny rocker, and now he looks like he's yeah. your softball coach. You know, he, he's, he's changed. I mean, I, I'm, I, I've changed. I understand. But it, it was kind of shocking to see him. I was like, wow, that dude looks different. And uh, the, yeah. the funniest thing, too, is that there's some dude, he looks like he's playing a cardboard box. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right. It, 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 I think I don't, that might be Dean Castroneau. I can't remember, but it may be him. But, hey. You can you can make anything sound good if you're. If it you're sounds a good. <laughs> he's, he's the best box player I've ever heard. He's awesome. Yeah, that's great. Might as well be playing the spoons. But you know what? <laughs> um, there is a '92 video. They're doing this song "I'll Be There" off Double Eclipse, and it's with uh, the original band and Neil Sean's in there and everything. And I and I specifically didn't choose it because this impressed me so much that 30 years later they're still making this song sound so good. So that's why I chose that song. Awesome. Okay, my number nine. It's a, it's a staple on the podcast, TNT. And uh, they're doing Lionheart in Japan. I don't know. It's just on some random Japanese television show, 1992. And now there's nothing lost. Yeah, there's nothing gained. Morning comes and it's still the same. I think the, the genre ate itself, and I don't think that's even the band's fault. I think I think it's the, the industry, and they do it every time. Every time something, they did it with grunge, for God's sake. Oh, definitely. So, so every time something takes off, they want, let's get more of that, and let's, let's do more of that, sign more of that. I'm a big nice. uh, Real Life Fantasies guy. I know you are, too. Yeah. The yeah. only thing I will say is that I've never been super into this song per se. I, I, I think I thought it was okay. Maybe kind of like like the Blind Faith thing. It was just kind of there. Probably for me, like end of the line is so awesome on intuition. And I've always oh, I yeah. said just on our last podcast how much I like Northern Lights. So this ballad just always kind of is this kind of there for me. But when I watch it acoustically. Man, it, it just the things that pop out. It's a good. It is a good song, but man, Tony Harnell's voice—it's like it, it's in its purest form. I mean, there's no like we kind of alluded to this before. It's like there's nowhere to hide. Like you're just—it's just you mm-hmm. and an acoustic. There's no effects. There's no distortion drowning out your voice. This is you, and he and he sounds so good, and he gets into like the falsetto stuff. And I gotta give Ronnie some credit, man, because he actually does a little vocal uh, stylings of his own. And of course, he's got a little bit of an accent going on, but he, but he sounds cool. And I don't know about you, man, but like okay, so like with the hard line, and there's some other ones on, on mine. And Warrant was kind of like that too. It's like a full band thing, right? But sometimes I think there's just something about when it's the two guys. I just think the emotional thing is there. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like the yeah. song is stripped down to its barest bone, you know, version that it could be. And then you just got two guys busting it out. So I like the emotion that's shown on this tune. And I think you'll go to certain songs as we progress that sometimes that just uh, a voice and a guitar does the trick. Totally, dude. 
Man, I mean, if you if you could choose a band that will kill it unplugged, whether you you've seen it or not, like I'll put my money on this band. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> talents. Okay. Number eight. Okay. Number eight. Got Blue Murder doing Jelly Roll from 1989 <laughs> so this band deserves way more credit this is a really silly song title and i don't know what the title really means and maybe i'm completely missing some sexual innuendo or something here but it's very very odd song title but anyway killer performance great three-piece band awesome album and i'm really always stoked to see sykes keep going after the white snake acts that he received so um, they look good. They sound good. They pull it off really well. They transition from the, the, the you know very acoustic intro to the song to the big chorus. So yeah, really cool album. I've, I've always really liked it. There's not a song on there that I skip. You know, I, I might have to edit this out because I might be totally off base here. But I remember when I was a kid. Okay, I thought it had something to do with the structuring of the song. Like the song had like like a jelly roll has something inside of it, and I felt like this song is almost like it's got like another layer. You know what I'm trying to say? Like it's it's kind of that mm. one thing, but then it turns into another thing. I don't know if that has anything to do. Like it's is, is what it, what I, I don't know. I, maybe I'm totally like I said. I'm I'm sleep deprived. <laughs> <laughs> no, dude. It, you know what? Hey, I buy it right now. You said it with confidence. I'm all in. That would make total that that would make total sense because. This song does start off very, very different than the chorus. Like, if there's any song where you go, did you think that this chorus was coming after this uh, intro and this verse? You'd be like, no, not at all. But they made it work so well. So from start to finish, this song is 180 degrees different. So, like, dude, if if that's what they're going for... And that's the the, the metaphor they're going for. They nailed it. <laughs> yeah, like that part where like that love will break your heart. It's totally yeah. different than the first part of the song. So oh yeah, I don't know how what that yeah. makes it be a jelly roll. I'm not really sure. But I, I then, watched yeah. different performances of this. I remember this was on. I think they were even on Yahoo Serious, and they were on Weird Al. They were they were all over the place back then. And I think the biggest thing, the biggest takeaway is that like how like John Sykes is like a freak of nature, right? Like he can yeah. play guitar so well, he can sing so well, and then just to think that three dudes like can make that kind of magic, like that's it's kind of like a rush type, you know, I mean, a lot, there's a lot of three-piece bands that do it, but man, just a lot of talent in that band and John Sykes is would be the the peak of it all all that talent between the vocals, and the guitar playing, yeah. and the songwriting, so yeah, good for him. Well, okay, real quick, three things. John Sykes wasn't confident that he should be the singer, so they auditioned a million singers. Almost had Ray Gillen. Done... Almost had Ray Gillen. That's right, yeah. And he'd done all the demos, and they finally said, dude, you're killing it. Just sing. And they said, all right. Next thing, I did see a ghost fourth uh, keyboard player um, in some live performances, yes. which is yep. understandable. Okay, you know what I mean? Yep, like, yep, yep. I get that. And then the, the third thing is, if your theory is right, 
they should have called the song Inside Out. That would have been way more killer than Jelly Roll. <laughs> right, right. And I, I'm, I'm probably way off base, but I just remember being a kid, like, I thought it had something to do with the structure, the way the song was structured versus anything that's said in the song, because it didn't make any sense, but who, I don't know. Right, exactly. Okay. Number eight, this is probably my most modern one, okay? And I'm going to go with okay. the Scorpions, and I'm just going to go with a blanket thing here. I'm going to go with the Acoustica album. This is one, you know, I've known about this for years, but I think with this uh, project, uh, you know, this podcast, I went and I dug deep into this one. And man, it's like the Scorps, it's like 2001. They took over mm-hmm. some ca- castle, right, in some foreign land. I don't know where they are. It's, it's, it's like a, they're in a small country. I, I know that. And But man, it's a big production, right? They got all kinds of band members on the stage. There's dancers. There's lighting. I mean, it, it, it's a really huge production. But the, what I like about this kind of stuff, and, and kind of what we're, we're going to see, like, the contrast. You know, like, if you think of, like, like what Blue Murder or what TNT did, it's just pretty much just straightforward. They're just kind of doing it acoustically. But when you you know you get some of these albums like this and maybe some other ones that we're gonna progress to here, they really these songs take on new life. You know what I mean? Like if you listen to like Rock You Like a Hurricane from this or like Holiday, I mean they they take it into a different direction that it's never gone. And I got a lot of respect for that because it also goes back to like what are they gonna do? You know, it's two thousand one. Uh, a, a new Scorpions album is not going to do shit. You know what I mean? So <laughs> maybe we could go and kind of give new life to the old songs. And they nail it, and it's the talent. I mean, between the guitars, you know, Ru- uh, Rudolph and uh, Matthias, and the vocals of Klaus, and then they got all kinds of background vocalists that kind of support the whole thing. But you know who the MVP is? And he, this is a guy that gets shit on, man, a lot because of his mouth. <laughs> James Kodak, man, yep, he's so tasteful in this. Like he, he's just you gotta watch watch Holiday. And watch the end because it almost gets into like a Spanish type of a style at the end of the song Holiday. And he's just so restrained, but it's so tasteful. Like he, he knows exactly what he's doing. He's doing all like this off time stuff. And uh, I was just blown away. I was like, man, this guy does not get enough credit. So, but yeah, just check out like Holiday, Rock You Like a Hurricane, uh, Under the Same Sun. And, and there are tons of their hits around there. They even do like a Cars cover, they cover the Cars. Uh, who's gonna drive you home tonight? Drive is that what it's called? Drive. So, um, oh yeah, there's a lot of cool shit on there. So it, it's a really cool album and uh, great video and it sounds awesome. You familiar with this one? I I have it and I am. I just I forgot all about the cars thing. I think I probably focused on some other stuff. But yeah, I, I'd like to go back to that. Now. Yeah, it, it's uh, I think it's well done. And I like I said, I like that creativity when somebody can take one of their original creations and kind of turn it into something new for like a different era. It's, it's well done. Yeah, totally. And I always thought that the album cover was kind of cool. It's like a, it's like a modern blackout. Yeah. With, yep. You know the the cord, uh, the amp cord around the guy's face who's screaming. Yep. For sure. All right. <laughs> yeah, man. that's a good one. Number seven. Okay. 
Number seven, got my boys in Danger Danger doing Bang Bang. Yeah. <laughs> All my good friends turn their face to the wall when they see me. What the hell's going on in my soul line that I can't see when I'm being hit? I know it's silly, but girl, I really Just, you know, I'd rather sell two records and have a record that sounds like what I like, um, and I'm very happy with it. And, you know, regardless, I think bands like Brian Adams and, and Def Leppard and Journey will always sell records regardless of the trends. These are what I like, and uh, like I say, I'd rather just make a record that I'm happy with and, uh, you know, a few select people, you know, are happy with. And if it sells millions, that's great. From uh, Japan in 91, and it sounds killer. Like, of all songs, Maybe not to sound killer unplugged. It's just hit, uh, uh, Ted and Andy Timmons doing doing it together, just 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 next to one another. And dude, it's it's killer. And Andy's got these great backup vocals. And this mm -hmm. was the time for this band, and they were a big Japan band. And it was a really cool show. Um, but it's about as rocking performance as you can get out of an acoustic song. Um, but uh, you know, how could you not with such a positive, happy, catchy song like Bang Bang? <laughs> oh, yeah. So. I, I was really impressed with Ted's vocals. Uh, he uh, he knocked it out of the park. He didn't vary whatsoever if he was singing it full voice with the uh, electric band behind him. But it, it's great. So I I really um, there was a few to choose from, but I really I've always liked this song. So and it, it it actually did really well unplugged. It did. I've I've watched this clip for years. I've always been impressed with it. I think those are kind of like the two guys that make the Danger Danger sound. You know what I mean? And, and so yeah. get them together to do it. You're right. Andy's got some great backups. I think the only thing that I go back to is uh, it's something that Michael Kelly Smith said. You know, he said that like hair model killed hair model. And I sometimes mm -hmm. wonder, like, if Bang Bang is one of those songs that would, like, the beginning of the <laughs> death of hair metal. Because it's so bubblegum. It's just so pop, you know? But I love it so much. <laughs> I mean, I, it's, <laughs> I know, it's, like, it's like, I mean, I'm not even a Danger Danger guy. But that, like, I love that song. That's, like, one of my favorite. Like, there's always these genre songs, you know, like, like from the hair metal genre. And Bang Bang is one of them. No Easy Way Out by Rocks Gang is another one. Like, there's these certain songs that, like, I could listen to them over and over again. There's something about them that's cool. And this, like I said, this may have been the first step into to, you know, taking all credibility away from hard-ass rockers. But, <laughs> but I don't even care, man. I love it. <laughs> yeah, you can't not. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Number seven, Poison, the way Arsenio says it. But unplugged. Yeah. MTV unplugged. MTV killed heavy metal music. You suddenly had the hair band was coming out. It was only about what they looked like and uh, how many parties they could have and how many, how many, you know, fourteen-year-old girls they could pull after the show. I mean, the music was rubbish, and and they destroyed what the rest of us created because everyone got lumped in together with it. That should be an emblem somewhere, you know. Poison killed everything. I'm not, not honestly. Those kind of bands did do that. I think these things that come out and you know and wear makeup and you know. What's that all about? This that's not metal. Sorry, it's just not. So I give you a hurry, don't be late. Cause I'm boom baby, I'm just gonna wait for the Talking to everybody in my 
great bands and great music came out of that era. I mean, we were truly living out our fantasy and we brought that onto the stage, onto the scene, into the shows. We were young, we were partying, and it was, it was awesome. Uh, you know, this was 1990. It's fun, right? It, it proved they could play because I think some people kind of thought they were like just an image band and you know they didn't have any chops. But it also I think it shows that they are not like a top notch band. I'm gonna say like I don't think you know when you you put this up against some of these other ones, anyone that we've mentioned or anything that's coming next, you put it up against it and, it, and it's not gonna cut it. Personally, that's just the way I look at it. Yeah. One big thing that they they lack in the only time I ever hear them do harmonies is in the beginning of Let It Play. And then right. all the rest, the rest of the songs, they just sing exactly what Brett sings. So I don't know if they really are great with harmonies. I think most of their harmonies were always piped in uh, at a live concert. So so I think vocally there's some struggles there. And, uh, hey, man, I love C.C. DeVille as much as the next guy, but that dude cannot play lead on an acoustic. <laughs> it just He just can't. It just, he just he, he, he did not, like, configure it. You know, like, he just – there just wasn't enough thought put into this performance. But it's fun. I love how they do good love. I'm not a big fan of good love, but I think on here I really like it because Brat does the harmonica, and it does fit. I think all the songs they do actually work really well, like in a kind of groovy, unplugged thing. You know, obviously, well, every rose is, is slow, but uh, Unskinny Bop sounds cool. Your Mama Don't Dance, uh, Let It Play. All those songs, I think, work really well, but I just... It's classic. I loved it back in the day. Thought it was cool when they put it on the um, Crack a Smile uh, album, but... They they had they proved a lot that they were good, but then they also proved a little bit that they weren't that good. So that's uh, right. that's what I got. I, I like it, but I, I see what the I see that it's flawed. Well, okay, so I got a little bit to say here because I actually put this on my honorable mentions. But okay, so I wanted to put poison. I put so they have good love. Your mama don't dance. Let it play. So none of those songs. Well, Mama No Dance was a single, but I don't know why. We, you and I have kind of talked about that <laughs> right. before. I mean, it worked, and, but I'm not a fan. Yeah, I, I basically thought they were awful choices. Like, they chose these songs because they thought that they would translate well in acoustic versions right. of those songs. But they were not Poison hits. The only song that I thought they really kicked ass on was Unskinny Bop. Yeah. And it, it actually translated really well. It does to an acoustic performance and that one was like almost on my list because i love poison so much and i did like their performance but the rest of it i thought what are you thinking like dudes the the goal of this is to play your big songs and maybe one random album track in there that fits the mold of acoustic but not gear your song choices towards the songs that are already kind of that Right. being like right. a, an acoustic version. So, yeah, I wasn't too stoked on those three, Good Love, Mama No Dance, and Let It Play. That's it for, for that. And I didn't think that they were bad performances by any means. No. I just thought the song choices were bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Hey, I mean, valid points, man. I'm with you. <laughs> Got it. You can tell I kind of dissected this one, huh? <laughs> <laughs> you, did your, you did your homework. Uh, That's right. Number six. All right. Here's where I got Doc and doing one live night. Yeah, 
1995 doing Just Got Lucky with Jeff Pilsen, Jeff Pilsen on lead vocals. Um, he's got an amazing voice, as does Mick, and I almost chose Tooth and Nail because Mick Oof. nails it on this one. Super good. But I, yeah, but I didn't. I did Jeff. <laughs> Jeff is the uh, he's the one slash Michael Anthony of this of this band. You know, he's got those solid backup vocals and a hell of a bass player. Great musician. This is just a killer song that starts off with the lead and the solo, and it absolutely rips from '84, and he absolutely lets it rip here. And I, I, I like the fact that they kind of shared the wealth, and Don sat in the background on a couple songs and let the others take the helm. Um, I thought it was a really cool album. I've always really enjoyed this live video, this entire thing, as well as the album. It's it's really cool. So they had some some good tracks and some good choices, and this one was one of my favorites for sure. This may show up on my list, so I won't say too much, but I'm going to say one thing about it right now that I'll, I just want to throw out there. And I think you probably can relate to this. Probably a lot of metalheads can, is that, you know, sometimes like you wake up in the morning and you're having your coffee and you kind of want to listen to something that you like, like cool, like docking, but you definitely don't want to hear something that's like super heavy. And like mm-hmm. this album just like works so well for like that kind of a atmosphere. You know what I mean? If you just like want to chill. And, and start your day, you know, relaxing with a cup of coffee. You throw this thing on, man, you can go through the whole album. It's just got a really cool vibe. So I feel like that's what's nice about these kind of performances because, you know, remember, what do they say in, in the power ballads? Every rocker's got a soft side or whatever, you know? I mean, like, I, I like that's right. I, music, I remember that. And I like laid back music. I, I like heavy music too, but sometimes you just want to put that album on and it's like nothing too crazy yet. Day's just starting. And something like this is great because it still has the hooks and those great songs that you remember. I feel like I'm in an infomercial now. And call now, and we'll send you not only <laughs> One Night Live, but we'll send you uh, uh, Dysfunctional. But uh, okay, so, but uh, but yeah, it's 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 got a really chilled out vibe, and it's 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 good for an early morning rocking out. So yeah, that's right. All right, number six. I got Motley Crue. This is just kind of like a blanket one, like 1994 when they played on the. Uh, the, the 94 album tour. You know I'm a dreamer But I want to go I had a runaway high So I wouldn't come home Just when things went right Does it mean always hope You know, it was a weird time. You know, it was a, it was an odd time. It was changing. Yeah, I mean, all the Motley, you know, Motley's whole career was about excess, over the top, you know, and then, and then all of a sudden all these bands started coming out of Seattle that were the antithesis of that, you know, and it, it was rough, man. It was weird. Like the concert tickets were weird, but it wasn't just weird for Motley. It was weird for everybody they did a little acoustical bit. So this just shows you, like, acoustic is, like, ingrained, right, in all the hair model bands. Like, we, we got to do an acoustic thing. So I was at the I was at a show at Weedsport, New York. I saw this tour. And at a certain mm-hmm. point in the show, they kind of, like, they, they unplug, they break everything down, they bring Tommy Lee's drums, or they bring in another set kind of down on the stage. They invite the audience members, a few of them, to come up and just kind of, you know, dance around with them and stuff. It's, it's, it was a really cool vibe. 
But they do Home nice. Sweet Home, which I think Karabi does great with. It's just different. I mean, I know you're a Vince guy. I'm a Vince guy. But I, I like how he did it. He kind of put in some changes to kind of fit his voice and kind of fit that you know vibe that they were going for with the acoustical thing. They do Revolution yeah. by the Beatles. They do Love Shine off of the 94 album. And they do Don't Go Away Mad. So... I don't know. Like I said, Karabi fits into this. You know, like you've heard Vince do acoustic before. I think they do. They did it, and when they when they did their Vegas residency, Vince just yeah. isn't cut out for this. Let's just face it. Vince, you know, he doesn't <laughs> have the greatest live voice. He needs all that shit behind him, like the distortion and everything. Where Karabi, he's got a different kind of a voice. You know, it's more organic and it works in this kind of a atmosphere. So I just remember thinking it was a cool move, something different when I saw it in person. And then when I go back and watch it, I, I think it's pretty cool. So nice. I think that'd work well. I haven't seen it. You know, I <laughs> I think I saw him doing Home Sweet Home, but I'll uh I'll check this out, um, this whole kind of segment. Because it sounds pretty interesting, and I'm slowly but surely kind of picking up the momentum to get into this album. <laughs> <laughs> nice. You just got to yeah. take it for what it is. You know what I mean? I think that's the main thing. You know, like, everybody always, you know, the, the big comment is always, oh, I wish they called this something else. Well, I mean, that's probably a, a kind of a stretch. But if you just take it for, hey, man, there was a split. They brought in somebody new. They tried something different. It's a nice little different kind of a nugget in the catalog. I've always said that. So, I mean, whether you love them or you hate them, you got the 94, which is a different kind of a vibe. You got Generation Swine, which is a different kind of vibe. You've got even New Tattoo, which is different. So, you know, for Motley just to make the same album over and over again, uh, that, that kind of could be boring. You know what I mean? So some of these albums people aren't going to like. But they're always there. Maybe you just got to be in the mood for them at a certain point. So it is what yeah. it is. It's Kiss is the same way. You know what I mean? I'm a huge Kiss fan. Everybody knows that. And Kiss just tried so many different things, you know, based on being out in the late 70s to the early 80s to the later 80s to the early. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, this is how the majority of artists survive. So by doing different things. So. Oh, yeah. I mean, you try being the financial advisor telling Motley Crue not to call it Motley Crue. Like, good luck there. You know? <laughs> good luck. <laughs> uh, all right, man. Number five. All right. Here's where I got Def Leppard doing the song called Tonight. And it's uh, it's a Japan a Japanese TV program from the Adrenalized promos. is that it wasn't cool to be Def Leppard. Grunge was king. Everything that was coming out of Seattle was really, it was really vital sounding. Um, I chose this because Joe is just peaking in my, in my opinion on this song and this, this album. Um, very uh, Love Bites-esque chorus where he gets into the full voice and really lets it rip. I don't really like I don't love this song like I love their other ballads, but it just showcases their talents. And um, the best part is Joe finally kind of like went without the mullet. And he's finally got like a, a, a really cool like uh, <laughs> full full head of 80s hair. So uh, even though it's 93, but no, it's a it's a really cool performance. The other guys are kind of already looking like uh, a little bit more toned down, if you will, like uh, they're kind of giving in. 
um, starting with the the facial hair and the striped yep. shirts and the the boots and this and that. And Joe's kind of still rocking the look, which I respect. But um, no, really cool performance. And um, they were probably uh, still peaking pretty good in Japan at that point. So yeah, I really like this one. Is tonight on Adrenalize? Yeah. Okay. So you know, I'm I'm uh, I'm a little, I got to be schooled in the Death Leopard uh, lore. <laughs> but uh, one thing, you know, when I was going through the different performances, I found this one, and I'd seen it before. I think it's like in the '90s. It's like mid '90s, like '95 or something like that. And and Joe Elliott looks exactly like Kurt Cobain, right? <laughs> and oh, all of them look really grungy. I think. Um, Rick Savage looks like a, a librarian. He's got these weird uh, glasses on and stuff. <laughs> and it's like, I know, dude. oh, man, the mighty have fallen. You know what I mean? But uh, I know. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think we did that worst looks episode a while back. And <laughs> it was <fits>. hilarious. <laughs> and um, just that fits exactly. But I, I failed to add, I think it was uh, the Adrenalize album, and they were doing uh, like an MTV performance. And Joe was so confused, dude. He had like short shorts with Doc Martens and like the the Beatles glasses and like the long trench coat. And I'm like, oh my god, dude! Like, pick a pick an era. Are we going 70s? Are we going 80s? Are we going off the 90s? Like, what are we doing here? So I totally get it. <laughs> All right. So my number five, I got Lillian X. Gotta have Lillian X. And what? I believe this this is 92 promoting the Poetic Justice album. They're like on cable TV, I believe. Makes me wonder, like on the like love and war, had we stayed with the darker side, right, and not gone into she liked it on top and down on knees and that, and just kind of kept it with that a little more focused, you know, on, on that darker sound. Could, would that have been enough? And I don't, I'm really looking back now. I don't think it would have with Nirvana and all those guys coming no. through. I, I think we'd have been wiped out by the whole tsunami anyway. <laughs> So they were probably like in their hometown at two in the morning. We're on some public access shit, you know. <laughs> yeah. But um, it, it's really good. They do True Believer and they do No Matter What. And actually, if you look around, I mean, Lillian X is a, like you said. If you look at like Ron, he does a lot of acoustic stuff. And uh, Steve and Ron were really making the rounds, doing in stores and doing all kinds of shit through the years. So you could find a lot of cool stuff with the two of them. But, I mean, I'm not going to get too crazy with this, but I just think it shows the great chemistry between these two guys. Steve Blaze is a great singer as well with his harmonies and his guitar playing. Ron, always been a fan of his voice, and it just sounds great. So, I mean, like I said, these are the two guys that can pull it off. You're just singing and playing, and it sounds good. Now, is that that in-store performance that we had you had sent me? And I, it's like a long video on YouTube, or is this a different one? This is something different. Yeah, there's no odd like they're not in a store. This is like they're on cable TV, like in some uh, okay. all blacks. You know, it's all black uh, background in a studio or whatever. But yeah, it's really cool. So you check that one out. Yeah, they knocked those songs out of the park in that phase of their career. So yeah, I'll check this out. Okay, man, number four. All right, here's what I got Europe doing. 
I'll Cry For You from the Prisoners in Paradise era. It's haunting me. Like a fool in the dark Honey, I'll cry for you We had the most challenging year to release a new album in that musical style because everything changed during 91, really. Now in 1990, it still would have been the perfect market for bands like Europe, but it never happened. It, and it, and it's it's far too easy to blame like a movement or you know no style, style of music around the corner. I mean, for us that was not the case though because we sold I, I can't remember one and a half million units of that album. Okay. So the label wanted to do another one. They wanted Prisoners in Paradise too, you know. And, and but we didn't want to do it because we felt we couldn't add anything to the current climate it was all full of, of grunge bands um so there was lots of europe unplugged to choose from and i chose this song because i feel like it doesn't really get enough love uh the ballads on this album kind of like i think they kind of shit on the previous two albums i i think they're yeah. just they're solid on prisoners uh it's a really really awesome era for europe visually they kind of toned down the fluff and went like full uh, early 90s embrace and in a good way, like a 1990, 1991 way. Yeah, <laughs> and, and not a 95 you know, way. <laughs> no, not at all. I'm not, I'm not here to talk about looks, but man, they they really they really honed it in on this one, and they sound so good. And um, if you listen to this song, and then you listen to a couple others from this performance, Joey is also meant for unplugged stuff. Mm-hmm. He yep, like he does he doesn't miss a beat. He's he tones it down a, a bit. Uh, for the other songs, but this one is pretty much the same as you're going to find on the album, and uh, it's it's one of those ballads that you go, you know, if you were to ask someone, all right, put uh, Carrie and uh, and this song and Prisoners next to each other, which one was the number one? They'd probably choose this song without knowing. Yes. Um, you know what I mean? So I, I think this song needs a little bit more love, and this album is definitely my favorite Europe album. So I went with one from that. You know, I don't know why Europe is like not making my list lately. It's 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 concerning. I'm concerned, uh, <laughs> but I love this song and I love this performance. I've seen it before. Key plays a little mandolin and, and That's everything. Right. I mean, it sounds so good. And, and Joey, like you said, sounds awesome. And I don't know how this one missed my radar, but um, it, this song works really well in, in that performance. You know what I mean? Sometimes, like I said, like we said, certain ones, you know, like some of the poison ones and stuff may, may be questionable to do them acoustic. But this sounded really good. It really worked, and it it's kind of in. You know, like I said, it was that was the thing. I mean, you know, either if you're either gonna do acoustic or you got to do grunge. But I, I think it was working, so <laughs> I, I love it. Nice. All right, number four. Here's where I put Winger. I got 1993 though. I know everybody thinks I'm gonna say Ooh. unplugged, right? But no, I, I like that. Yeah. 
But I'm a big fan of pole, man. And they, they're on, I think it's once again, Japanese TV. They do Down Incognito. When grunge became cool, it wasn't cool to be in any of the, the 80s bands. But I'll wait it out, call it superstition. I'll be fine for now, just reminiscing, cause I'm all out of charm. And I'm all out of money. I'm hanging down incognito, waiting for the sun to shine. I love that song. That song should have been a hit, could have been a hit if it was out maybe a couple years earlier. I think they also do Who's the One, which is a cool yeah. song. I mean, it's growing on me, but it's not one of my favorites. But, man, Down Incognito sounds so good. And it's kind of like what we've been saying between Ronnie and Tony and uh, Ron and Steve and Kip and Reb is, is probably – the best out of all the ones you just mentioned. I'm sorry. I mean, these guys, these are guys are super talented. I mean, both good singers, both great players. Rab, obviously, like I said, he, he noodles around pretty good on acoustic. It doesn't sound like, yeah. like, like it doesn't fit or whatever. And, you know, they got the look, you know, obviously, you know, the bangs are getting longer and they got beards and all this shit, you know, you can tell <laughs> the times have changed, but the craziest thing, I don't know if you'll be with me on this. I don't know if anybody will be with me on this. But for some reason, man, I looked at Red Beach in one shot with the beard, and he just reminded me of Marv from Home Alone. <laughs> good, I, I, I don't know why, man. I caught one look at him. I was like, man, he kind of reminds me of like one of the Sticky Bandits, you know. But um, but, <laughs> nice. <laughs> but other than that, uh, I just I love that performance. I had been watching that one for years. I posted on uh, Twitter in the past, and uh, it's a great uh, great performance. It is, and it's funny how. Kip, what Kip says about the title pull. Oh yeah, you know how he, he refers to it being like shotgun, like pull. So say yeah, shoot up in the air, you know? pull and shoot. Yep, that was so funny when I saw that on there. Oh my god, that was great. I guess he can make fun of himself. Yeah, he knew. <laughs> Number three. All right, well I got winger right now doing can't get enough from the '91 unplugged MTVs. I finally got an alternate version of a song that absolutely rules, unlike what Rat and Poison did for their unplugged stuff. And I'm sorry if you, if, sorry if you have Rat coming up. But, I don't. Um, <laughs> but this is just like pure talent, like you're saying about this. Um, I almost put Kip doing a solo show from just like a couple years ago, circa good. like yep. the um, Hardline and Ron Taylor phase. Um, he does like two hours of Kip classics with that turquoise guitar, uh, and and he's just he's amazing. So I, I almost put a, a more current Kip in in place of this, but you can't escape how good of a performance they did on "Can't Get Enough," and they altered it. They altered it a little bit. Yes, it, they do. It worked. Re- yeah, it worked really well. 
but it was just the perfect time for this band and they were they were kind of peaking and yep. um kind of downhill from there but <laughs> yeah but this this performance i'll always love whole thing I almost put the unplug. I, I love how they do Can't Get Enough. I also think they do a great job with Headed for a Heartbreak. Because like I said, they, yes. they were the ones where they got a little creative and they tried to make it a little different or, or make it fit into that that uh, per, you know acoustical atmosphere. But here's one thing I wanted to mention. I didn't put this on my list, uh, but there is a 1993 performance of Kip and Reb at Much Music, okay? They do Can't Get uh-huh. Enough, and they do Who's the One. So it's it's for, it's for during the poll thing, the poll era. So yeah. here's the thing that's funny about this performance. you got to watch this thing. So if you've watched some of the Much Music things when the bands are um, you know in the studio and there's those windows, if you go yeah. back to like some of the ones from the earlier 90s, even maybe like 90 or 91 and then the late 80s, there's like fans like just pounding on the windows and, and just going crazy. Listen to this, right? I swear there's one crazy guy. There's just one guy watching them play, which is just a, a sign uh. of the times, right? Then, you know, like, they're in a studio, so, like, there's a producer guy, and he's off to the side, okay? And he's just, like, sitting in a chair. Like, he won't even. he's not even looking at the band. And I just want to punch that guy in the face and say... Turn around, <laughs> respect these guys. They kick ass, <laughs> and I want to go run around the streets of Canada and, and round up people to get them to watch these guys because they're so good. But go back and just those are two little oddball things that I noticed about that performance. So if, if anyone's ever seen that, you might be able to relate. If you haven't, check it out. You see, yeah. if, see what you think. Uh, if I'm nuts or, or I am nuts, but th- this performance does exist. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'll have to check that out. That sounds interesting. But yeah, it is interesting. Okay, here's a big one. Number three is Queensryche, 1992 Unplugged. And mm-hmm. it's hard to dissect uh, you know, a certain song that, that's just better than another. It's all really good. And, and I'm not even 100% clear on which ones actually aired on MTV and which ones didn't. Because I think when you go on YouTube, you can catch some ones that weren't part of the original airing. But anyways, I will remember, I think, as the standout one if I had to pick. Because I've always thought that song was cool. It's hard because it kind of ends the Rage for Order album. And that album is more of like a... It's like an electro metal, I don't know, yeah. goth. It's a weird album, you know? And that song is just so peaceful. It, it just doesn't even fit on the album. And then I think when they do it now, like with updated version, with, with Queensryche, you know, top of their game, it just it comes across, across a little bit different, and it's really cool. Obviously, Silent Lucidity, we're coming off that being a huge hit. My only comment about Silent Lucidity is it <laughs> feels like the backups are piped in. I don't Ooh. know, and, and that's a no-no on Unplugged, but there's no way that these guys can do the backups that good. It just sounds fake. I don't know. Could be wrong. Check it out. Let me know if, if you guys think this, the same thing. They do The Lady Wore Black. They do The Scarborough Fair, which is a, a cover of, of Simon and Garfunkel. Another thing that's weird, I don't think this aired, but they play um, Is There Anybody Listening? And if mm-hmm. you watch that one, it's like Eddie, uh, I want to call him Eddie Kramer, Eddie Jackson He's like he just stops playing bass at certain moments, or he's playing the wrong bass lines. I don't know what's going on there. It's really, it's really bizarre. Bottom line is, I think no one will dispute this: is that Chris DeGarmo and Jeff Tate 
our Queensryche. <laughs> They're just like ridiculously talented songwriters, you know, singers, players. Those guys are just just talent, and the whole band is just super talented. And to see them in that stripped down uh, form, and to see them at the top of their game. And let's face it, man, Jeff Tate doesn't always look cool, especially if you see him now. But he was looking cool here. <laughs> oh yeah, this gave me physical pain, physical heart pain. Not adding this to my list. I know what the hell's wrong it with was, you, dude. I know this was like my. Uh, it would have been Silent Lucidity is performed so well, and I, I, I was just kicking it around, and I don't know, dude. It's so good. I don't know why I didn't put it on there. If they're the perfect unplugged band, and that song was performed so well, and I kind of agree though. Those backgrounds are so they're too good. They're too good. I don't, good. I don't even care. They're, they're, nope. There's no way they, they did them. I don't know how they pulled it <laughs> off. Because, you know, unplugged, like, they, it was like they were watching you to see if you are pulling any scams, you know, because you've got to show your yeah. credibility here. But I, I think those are piped in. I don't care. They must be. <laughs> All right, man. Number two. Okay, here's where I got Richie Sambora doing Wanted Dead or Alive on Arsenio Hall in 91. Okay, so we got Richie Solo. Okay, it's all of Bon Jovi minus John is what I surmised by looking at the, the guys in the background. And people out there, correct me if I'm wrong, but it looks like the rest of the band is there without him. But it's kind of that, like, like who knows, in-between time for Bon Jovi, which he explained to Arsenio during the uh, interview portion of this. But they got a little sick of one another after almost a decade, decade together, so they, they took a little break. Um, but in terms of the performance, he does uh, One Light Burning off of his solo album, which is pretty good, and, uh, and Wanted. And Wanted is just perfect. He does it amazing. He's got that huge, strong voice. And it honestly probably would have been my number one if it weren't for my first epic choice coming up, but I just can't <laughs> preach Richie's... <laughs> Richie's vocals enough and he did a great job to the point where you go well who needs John got the rest of the band there he got Richie and Cher makes an appearance yes did she bring him out uh, his hat or something did she bring him out a hat yeah yeah. (laughs) so that's kind of classic too but anyway really good performance and Richie just kills it so yeah had to put him way up there yeah, you know, I went back. I've seen this before, but I, I've watched it again recently. And you know, <laughs> Richie's a better singer than John, right? <laughs> Let me don't oh. say it. You make, force me to say it. I'll say it. Uh, I mean, John has the voice that sells the band and the looks and everything. Yeah. But, but man, what a singer he is! You know what I mean? Oh yeah. Yeah, this is really great. I mean. It, it, kind of like the John Sykes thing, right? Like, I mean, this dude can play, he can sing, you know, what a talent that he is. But, uh, you know, yeah. another thing to mention in, um, you know, Wanted Dead or Alive is, like we said in the beginning, it's kind of like that breakthrough 
that cowboy metal, you know, that was like the beginning of like the cowboy metal and the acoustic stuff and, you know, and it's funny, there's different eras where Bon Jovi does this song, you know, like it, like they do it in 92 when they're promoting um, Keep the Faith and it mm-hmm. sounds so good and, and Richie kind of does a little more of a, a solo that's got a little bit of a Spanish uh, vibe to it or something like that. Or maybe maybe I'm thinking of Living on a Prayer. That classic performance, like Bon Jovi does work like in that element pretty good. But um, oh, yeah, yeah I, this is a great performance. And I really, to go back and watch it, I, I recommend everybody to do that because you're really going to be blown away about what kind of singer uh, Richie Sambora is. It's awesome. Totally. All right. Number two, this is where I got docking, One Night Live. Famous, famous, famous. And then the 80s kind of peaked out and everybody's done with the hair. And they started going down the ladder. And the record sales were dropping off and they broke up. Then the real reason everything fell apart was uh, I was on Geffen and they signed Nirvana. And they, and they kind of saw the same thing like, oh, Dawkins, a hair band. You're old school. You're 80s. You know, this is the new. You got to remember in 91, it was Nirvana, Pearl Jam, Alice in Chains, yep. Soundgarden, you know, all the grunge bands came out, and everybody said, well, the 80s bands are done. I got to go buy a flannel shirt and stuff. He's awkward. From 1997, I'm not sure if we mentioned that before. Maybe we did. But no. um, it's awesome. You know, one thing that you didn't mention, I just want to throw out there, is that, you know, Don is actually still sounding pretty good. He is, very much. You know, he's got it. He's sounding good. Oh, you're right, man. I, I love Tooth and Nail with uh, with Mick Brown singing, and I yeah. love when Jeff sings, and it just sounds really good. They do the three-part harmonies. They do Nowhere Man by the Beatles. Uh, In My Dream sounds great. It's Not Love. Yeah. Into the Fire. I mean, I'm telling you, like it's just like one hit after another, and they all sound good. My only complaint about this album is that George Lynch is a cheater. He did not play an acoustic for most of this uh, performance. He plays an electric, and it has mixed results. There's some times where it sounds kind of cool, but then it just sounds like he's shredding over friggin' acoustic music. So, yeah. um, so kind of a fail. My number one, I'll announce here shortly, this guy had it right when it came to playing lead acoustics. George Lynch kind of took the easy way out and, and played an electric. It is what it is. It adds a cool vibe, but I, I, I feel like he cheated. <laughs> well, I'm sure George just isn't talented enough, you know? <laughs> <laughs> he is. You know what, man? It just, just goes back, it just just goes back to, the, to what we've all known. You know, he's just he's a very unique individual. He does shit the way that he wants to, and he can kind of be <laughs> difficult. They probably said, George, bring your acoustic. Screw that. I'm bringing my electric. <laughs> so yeah. It's just, yeah, it's just right. George, George will be George. You know, you know, I'm just I'm a little too good on an acoustic. I, I'll just play electric. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't want to play electric. Here's my fingers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> All right, man. I can't wait. I, I have no idea what it is. Number one, what is it? All right. Well, uh, let's see. I'm trying to make you guess here. Who else do I preach vocally besides Hardline all the time? And it's not Sammy. 
Uh, <laughs> big Y and T guy. Hmm. But I don't know. No, if it's not them this time. <laughs> oh, man. I'm, I'm at a Okay, loss. Give, me, yeah. give me another hint. He might have the record for hitting the highest notes, besides Jim Gillette, of any oh, male singer. Oh, it's got to be Mikey from Steelheart. That's it, baby. There we go. There we go. So we got Steelheart doing Sheila from MTV Unplugged in Hong Kong, 1992. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just Mikey and the guitar player. They do three songs, and I chose the song Sheila because of his amazing performance at the end of the song. And if you're familiar with the song, he lets it rip, and almost like a, a vocal solo, just he and a guitar player at the end for like the last minute, minute and a half. So he does that in a small room with an acoustic guitar sitting on a stool and he nails the notes that could break glass right then right there and it almost looks like he's gonna pass out if you look at him he kind of like <laughs> closes his eyes and shakes his head like Oof, i'm almost done like that was almost it but he hits him great and the other two songs are really cool he does mama don't you cry which is just way too sad and uh, She's Gone, which is a good ballad off the first album. But Sheila took the cake for me because it's a rocking song that did well in this slow blues chug. And like I said, he did not let us down in hitting those epic notes. So as usual, I preach my boy Mikey Steelheart. Awesome, man. He, he's, he's got a great voice. And like I said, he, he doesn't need any effects or anything. He's, he can do it. Mm-hmm. Well, my number one is should be very simple. To do, do, do you want to take a guess? You, I'm, I'm sure you know what it is. So, you said it's a guy that's good at playing acoustic guitar and is known for it. Well, I say he was known for it. Known <laughs> I'm just for saying it. he, okay, he he's, he's, he's the opposite of some so. of them. He he's got it down, but but it, the band has nothing like it's not run by a guitarist. It's 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 a it's a band thing. So. Oh, okay. So Ingve's out. He's out. He's out. <laughs> Okay. What band do I love that had an Unplugged album? Let's see. There you go. Well, that, I was going to say Kiss. <laughs> okay. All right. That. I'm proud of you. <laughs> All right. So 1995, Kiss Unplugged. <laughs> I didn't like it. I still don't like it. I never understood about singing about how up your life is when everybody knows their lives are up. I mean, this is my favorite band, but 
really, I'm honest. This is honest truth here. Out of all my list, Kiss smokes all of them. I, that's my personal opinion. I watched the Unplugged recently, and every time I see it, it blows me away. Now, Kiss, in all fairness, they were doing this for a while. They did a convention tour in 1995. I actually saw this convention tour in 1995 oh, wow. in, in New York City. And my wife and I were, were actually shown in Kiss's home video for the Unplugged. Oh, wow. they, show, they show some of that... Um, that concert and some of the different things that happened in New York City and you can see us kind of like I'm like waving my arms around and stuff at the camera so you can see me a young metal Mike is on that with hair it's nice um, <laughs> but so so they were working on this for a while and I think a couple things that have happened with this whole performance is that you know Kiss really showed that they have great songs and they're great performers and I think what happens is, is Kiss always kind of got lumped into like being an image band and they had to have explosions and if they didn't wear makeup they were nothing you know kiss has gotten every stigma attached to them but i think with right. unplugged they really i think they made a name for themselves as, as being proficient musicians and, and great songwriters paul stanley is at the top of his vocal game you know the, the vocal performances that he does on here are just unreal and even though it's not one of my favorite kiss songs just listen listen to him do i still love you on there i mean vocal gymnastics it's amazing gene Never known for having the greatest voice, but man, go back and listen to something like World Without Heroes from The Elder. I mean, Gene's voice sounds great. He's playing great bass. Listen to Sure Know Something. His bass is amazing on that. Uh, Bruce Kulik's solo is so tasteful. He's not fumbling around on the acoustic like CC was. You know what I mean? It's just It just <laughs> sounds yeah. really tight and well done. And Eric Singer, he's adding to it. He's a great drummer, great singer. The whole thing has, you know, just three-part harmonies and, and just sounds amazing. And you probably would have problems with the song selection. I, mean, I know you're not a big Kiss guy, but, like, if you were going to listen to Kiss Unplugged, you'd want to hear Lick It Up and Tears Are Falling. You know, <laughs> they don't do yeah. any of that kind of shit. You know, they went back and they really did pick songs that would be great for, like, the hardcore fan like me because I'm not – I never hear these songs live. And they all really transcend well into like an acoustic performance. So good on That's Kiss. Cool. They really paid in tribute to like their seventies, uh, you know, self. They didn't play anything from the eighties, and it was a good move because, like I said, that it was yeah. ninety five. It was kind of over. Kiss, you know, Kiss has been lucky because with with the nineties, it's like this is when Kiss was you know starting to come across as like a legendary band. You know what I mean? Like seventies, right. a huge band. Then in the 80s, kind of like, you know, they're working their way back up to popularity. They're kind of copying what everybody else did. And then by the time you got to, like, the early 90s, so many bands were coming out just saying, like, oh, my God, I'm a Kiss changed my life. You know, Kiss influenced me. They did the tribute album where people like Lenny Kravitz are on it and Extreme and Anthrax and uh, Lemonheads and Gin Blossoms and Garth Brooks. You know what I mean? So Kiss really started to get that legendary status. And the last thing I'll say about this is, man, come on. This is what spawned the KISS reunion. You know, they brought right. out the other members of the family. They brought out Peter. They brought out Ace. The audience went ape shit. Reunion tour, reunion tour. And when what happened the following year? The reunion tour. Yeah, but I still the unsung hero, though, that, I guess what I was trying to get back to at the very beginning, or at least when I was talking about Dokken, is Bruce Kulik, man. Just such an underrated player a tasteful player. Check out all his acoustical solos on here. Like just none of that noodling nonsense that some of the other people try to do. He just he yeah. tailored them all to fit on an acoustic. He's able to do the bends and everything. I don't know how he does it, man, but I, I just give him a lot of credit. 
and the whole band's on fire. If you're not familiar with Kiss Unplugged, just listen to Sure Know Something. It's so damn good. It's a great song anyways, but to hear that acoustical rendition, so good. And my Kiss rant is over. It's over. <laughs> no, I get it, though. I get the 70s reference because if you think about that, like the in 93 to like 97 was like that time frame when 70s was cool again. 70s was cool and again, yep. Yeah, it, it, it became like not passe anymore. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, they really hit their stride. They did a hell of a job, like you said, with those song choices and kind of coming out to showcase the uh, the retro aspect of it all. Yes. And, yeah, it really, it really catapulted the rest of that, and they embraced that reinvigoration of that, that hippie 70s-ish yes. type of vibe that, like, the styles were all coming out again. And, yes. yeah, that, that was a – pivotal album for them I, I remember it very well yeah you're right i mean it was you know and it was funny because everything was building up to all this because it was like they did the kiss my ass tribute album and then like all these people are praising kiss then they went on to do the convention tour where they brought like their old costumes and all this shit out of of uh storage and and everybody was just getting back into that like I said that 70s nostalgia i mean the next logical step of course is to put the makeup on and do it and they did mm-hmm. and it was i'm so glad they did and i got to see it but you know the funniest thing that happens through all of this if you listen to Gene on like Headbangers Ball in 94 if you read i just read an interview uh from 94 in Kerrang with Gene Oh yeah, we're working on a new album, you know. And it was like funny because that album just keep kept getting shoved back and shoved back because they knew that like this was their only play. You know what I mean? They just they, they were, yeah. you know, they were either going to play small theaters and clubs doing like the Kiss grunge album or going to play stadiums doing the makeup, you know, 70s thing. So, they made the right choice and then in turn that move set them up to just be kind of legendary status after that and forever you know what i mean so oh yeah all right what's some of the honorables i don't have many what do you got no i don't have many either like yeah like i said i had queen's i had a funny one i was gonna jokingly hit you with acdc on the howard stern show <laughs> he was distorted he plays <laughs> distorted i saw <laughs> yeah of all bands never to go acoustic and they didn't angus was playing electric but it was you know just the two of them that was kind of funny but i got msg doing their 92 japan thing yep. that whole yep. album uh, Rat, I did not think did a very good job um, doing their unplugged thing. Um, it was just odd song choices, Born on the Bayou, that whole bit. Uh, round and Round was awkward. Uh, I don't know. I didn't love it. And then I did also kind of flirt with the idea of putting that White Snake. Uh, he and um, what are, are you? Are, were you flirting around with that too? <laughs> I was, but there was two major things that was were holding me back. Uh, David Coverdale's got like this short, dark hair. He looks weird. Yep. And they look yep. like they're playing in a nursing home. <laughs> it's like all these. It's I like, know, dude. <laughs> like, I totally where the hell agree. Are they? <laughs> there was like there was like fifteen folding chairs and like a little like fake plant, and I'm like, what is this shit? <laughs> no, it was just dude, it was so I bizarre. Agree. I couldn't wrap my head around it, and I'm like, no, I can't do it. I know, and it was just too slow and kind of boring. Like, yes, I get it. You're you're acoustic. You got to slow it down. But like, I watched the deeper the love, and I was like, mm, maybe no. he'll do that. I don't mind. Like, kind of killer. He didn't at all. He actually like went way down in the range. Yeah. I was like, nope, no. not adding it. No, no, I'm with you. <laughs> so those are my only uh, honorables. 
Yeah, I, yeah, I was toying around with uh, L.A. Guns. It's over now. They kind of do one that's kind of acoustic, except Tracy's playing an electric, but I guess George played an electric, so I don't you know what the difference was. They're sitting down, so it had that vibe. Um, but I was like, ah, I was just, I was on the fence about it, but I really do like that song, and, and that is a cool performance. And then I think real late, I, I noticed Sabotage doing Sleep, and but but Chris Oliva, his, his, he's got an electric guitar, although but it's clear it's not distorted, so it was just kind of like, you know, some of them were, yeah, you just didn't know if they, they didn't really feel 100% acoustic like, like, like some of the other ones did, but um, yeah, that's all I really have. The rest of them, though... I, I really like this, man. I, I, like I said, I, I think a lot of these are cool. It's just cool to uh, kind of go back and watch those 90s performances for the most part. Most of these were 90s and uh, just cool renditions and just kind of stripped down and, and you realize how good these artists were and, and how good the songs were. Absolutely. Good luck with any of these current bands trying to pull this off. <laughs> <laughs> right. I don't want to hear the Greta Van Fleet acoustic album, you know? Oh, yeah. yeah hold my breath for that one. <laughs> <laughs> All right, brother. Well, always, always fun. I think we'll have another uh, good one here, hopefully. That's right. Getting better and better. All, All right, brother. Fun. Thank you. Yeah, man. Thanks a lot. Have a good one. Well, it's time to say goodbye, my friends. Glad you stayed until the end. I hope that you've enjoyed the time we spent. Yeah.